0: Well, hello. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for checking out this show. We always do so appreciate it. Our goal is to make you a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, and a whole lot healthier by the time this podcast is finished. Today's show is a really interesting one, particularly if you're not a couch potato talking about athletes here. You know, there were a number of people, a number of my colleagues here at the Physicians Committee who recently had a review published in the journal Nutrients examining the advantages of a plant-based diet for athletes. And what they found was that they have an incredible recovery time after their workouts, after their events. And what really surprised us was that they also found that athletes are not immune to heart disease. So what is something that we know that a plant-based diet is effective in treating and managing and in some cases reversing? You guessed it heart disease. So to talk about that, I'm going to bring on the Physicians Committee's own nutritionist, dietitian extraordinaire, Susan Levin, as well as the director of the Barnard Medical Center, Dr. James Loomis. They were part of this review that was published. And we're going to talk all about this and how the plant-based diet really can benefit even people who go out and run on the weekends. You know, maybe you wake up the next day and you're a little bit sore what would a plant-based diet do for that? Uh, to hear from these guys, you probably would feel pretty good. And speaking of which, speaking of which, I'm also going to be talking to another gentleman by the name of Eric O'Gray. And if you're not familiar with the Eric story, it is incredible. Eric and Petey the synonymous Eric is a gentleman who lost a tremendous amount of weight came off of dozens of medications as you'll hear he was on medications to counter the side effects of other medications a doctor had told him to get a grave site a grave plot because he wasn't going to live much longer unless he changed his ways he found the plant-based diet he adopted a dog and by changing his diet and by taking that dog for walks he lost an extraordinary amount of weight, and the guy who could barely walk 100 yards is now a committed marathon runner. He runs all the time. He is a friend. He is a colleague, and he's going to share with us how he finally just qualified to run the Boston Marathon. That is huge, huge huge. So we're going to talk about how the plant-based diet affects him. And this guy is like blistering past guys that are in their 20s. It doesn't matter. Eric is an extraordinary story. I cannot wait for you to hear from him again. And before we get going, I wanted to talk to you if you are listening to us down under, maybe you're in Australia. I get emails from Australian listeners Dr. Barnard is going to be over there quite soon, as a matter of fact. He's going to be on tour in Australia and New Zealand, February 15th through the 20th. On the 15th and 16th, he's going to be in Melbourne. He's going to be at the Australia Asian Nutrition and Healthcare Conference, speaking for two days at that conference. And then on February 19th, he heads over to New Zealand. He's going to be in Wellington, going to be speaking at the University of Otago, Uh, He's going to be giving a lecture there on the power of nutrition for health. He's going to be doing the same thing the following night in Auckland, New Zealand, at the University of Auckland. So we've got all of those events. Dr. Barnard going on a tour of Australia and New Zealand, February 15th through the 20th. Head over to pcrm.org. Go to our events page and you can find out more information there. Don't you dare miss Dr. Barnard down under. I think that those are going to be fascinating, fascinating presentations. Ticket information is certainly available on those pages as well. Now, are you ready? you an athlete. You want to learn about the benefits of a plant-based diet with athletes? This, my friend, is the show for you. Welcome to the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll, joined today by co authors of a groundbreaking new study examining the effect of a plant based diet on athletes. And with that, we welcome Dr. James Loomis. He's the medical director of the Barnard Medical Center, as well as board-certified nutritionist, dietitian, just somebody that knows a whole heck of a lot about sports, athletes, <laughs> performance, and the link with nutrition, my personal friend, Susan Levin. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thank,
1: thank you. you. Happy to be
0: here. Uh, ta- let's talk about this study at first. And uh, You know, I know you've both also been on my podcast, The Exam Room, where we've spoken about this previously, but now you guys have really gone a little bit more in depth on everything, and I'm curious. We think about an athlete, correct me if I'm wrong with this perception, in shape, top of their game, fit as a fiddle, healthy as an ox, whatever, you know, euphemism you want to use, but what we're finding is, even if you are... A really, quote unquote, healthy athlete, you're still at risk for heart disease. Dr. Loomis, am I off base on that?
1: No, that's, that's correct, Chuck. Um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer uh, in the Western world. And you have to remember, too, that many athletes, you know, decide to start engaging in athletics. Even as they get older, you decide you want to run your first marathon or your first half marathon. So you might be thirty, forty years old um, when you start. And in those, and, and there's, you know, the, even though they're not professionals, they're still athletes. And in fact, everyone is an athlete in, in their own way. You know, if you, if you, you so? well, you know, if you c- carry laundry up from the basement, you're being athletic. <laughs> if you give your kids, yeah, if you give your kids a piggyback ride, you're being athletic. So. And, and and the risk for cardiovascular disease starts at a very young age we know from autopsy studies that even you know kids in their 10 12 you know 10 12 years old teenagers already show are starting to show the very early signs of atherosclerosis um you know the beginnings of atherosclerosis so it it really is a fairly ubiquitous disease in in the united states and um and, but, but on the other hand, we know that, that regular physical activity markedly reduces your risk for dying from heart disease over the long run.
0: Interesting. And, and Susan, I want to ask you, not just from your position as a co-author on this paper, but as a parent, you, you have a young child at home. You just heard Dr. Loomis refer to children as young as 10 starting to show signs. Your child, I'm assuming, you know, is, is going to get athletic and, and do sports at, at some point. You hear something like that, and that's, that's got to be alarming for you.
2: Well, it is, and we've even had um, guests at our conference talk about how looking at the arterial plaque of fetuses, which is – talk about mind-boggling <laughs> – that you're, you're so responsible for the health of that child's heart from from the get-go. And, yeah, you've got to make sure there is no pass. There is no pass for a a young person's metabolism, right, which is what people think. um, You can kind of eat whatever you want as long as you look slim. And it it goes into adulthood, too, talking about athletes who run marathons, but their arteries can be clogged. And you don't even know it because you look at them and you think um, they're in perfect health. Well, you don't know what that person eats and you don't know what's going on inside.
0: Right. So we hear a lot about, well, if I'm an athlete, I need protein, and that, of course, means, you know, let's, let's just get the healthy meat, you know, the, the chicken breast. Detrimental to athlete? Well,
1: it, it, what's interesting about health in general, you know, chronic disease and, and health and heart disease, it, it the, at the core of all of these, most of these chronic diseases, everything from heart disease, diabetes, cancer, at the core lies inflammation. And the Western diet is highly inflammatory, and even when we eat things we perceive are healthy low fat milk or or lean chicken or you know low fat beef or whatever those things are still highly inflammatory and and and, and it's this inflammation that's created that um, it, it really puts us at risk for heart not only heart disease but many other chronic diseases and and it's also interesting that that exercise, intense exercise, and I'm talking about marathon and beyond, is also highly inflammatory because it creates a lot of oxidative stress. We, we burn oxygen for fuel, and one of the byproducts of that are oxygen-free radicals, and, and those oxygen-free radicals uh, can can interact with our blood vessel walls and create endothelial dysfunction, and they oxidize the, the, the LDL or bad cholesterol particles, uh, which increase our risk for, for, for atherosclerosis. And that um, uh, people on the other, the extreme end of, of exercise may have as much heart disease risk as someone who leads a sedentary lifestyle. And that and again, a lot of that, we can offset that oxidative stress by the food that we eat. Mm. Uh, and the only source of antioxidants are plants.
0: Um. Susan, let me ask you, I, I guess, the the your your opinion based off of these findings. You just heard Dr. Loomis say something that I found was rather groundbreaking: is that you know these extreme athletes have the same risk as somebody who's sedentary. But what if that extreme athlete wasn't eating those inflammatory foods? Would that lower their risk?
2: Absolutely. So just like everybody else, yum, you want to be eating um, as healthfully as possible, and certainly eating lots of plants. And you know the impetus for this paper, I think was how popular vegan diets are with professional athletes. So people who maybe they came to that because they care about the environment or compassionate about animals, but I'm guessing the majority of the 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 line on the Tennessee Titans NFL team are actually more concerned about their performance. So they know when they eat plants and avoid animal products that they are going to be combating the inflammation that we all face and maybe even more so as, as an kind of an endurance athlete. But yeah, there are are performance reasons for eating this way. And it does help to be eating an anti-inflammatory diet and avoiding all those pro-inflammatory foods.
0: Now, Dr. Loomis, in your career, you've had the opportunity to work with scores of professional athletes. You were the team internist, I believe, for the St. Louis Rams before they moved to Los Angeles, as well as the baseball team, the Cardinals there. Give me an idea of how the players were stay specific to football here week 15 16 late in the season how were their bodies holding up at that point uh,
1: they were sore <laughs> uh, no i mean you know the football is a very uh taxing on the body for for a variety of reasons not only the physical effort but the physical contact and um now i was taking care of the team before i went plant-based sure and you know i can tell you that that the perceived proper nutrition you would go you know we would go on an away game and the games were at noon and we would have a breakfast spread and you know it would be steak and chicken breast and pasta those are the three you know because you got to get your protein, protein and your and carbs. carbs and um um and and then you know you fast forward and, and you i had the opportunity to to meet some of the tennessee titan players through the the upcoming documentary the game changers which which i'm um, proud to be in and you talk to them, and, you know, the thing they noticed the most was their ability to recover uh, week after week after week. And, 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 in fact, it's interesting. When when Derek Morgan first went plant-based, you know, he had teammates that literally almost made fun of him. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon they notice he's having the best season of his career. He's not in the training room every week. You know, he's, he's, he's recovering faster. And pretty soon they're coming up to him, you know, on the sly and saying, hey, now tell me again what you're doing. Because it, it does work, and when you talk to professional athletes, no matter what the sport, Olympic cyclists, Olympic weightlifters, professional boxers, long-distance runners like Scott Jurek, every single one of them says that, that the performance aspect, the recovery and the ability to show up the next day and the next day and the next day and perform at a high level and recover from that stress every day is by far the, the biggest change they've noticed.
2: I, I remember Brendan Brazier, who does um, Iron, yeah. Iron yeah. Man, yeah. Um, triathlete professional, saying, this is years ago, uh, saying, um, I can train seven days a week, whereas my competitors train six because they have to take that day of rest to recover i don't have to do that because my diet kind of does that for me and that's why i have that competitive edge one extra day a week over the course of year a year years makes you a better athlete right.
1: and i mean i can speak to that personally um I, i'm celebrating my 60th birthday by trying to kill myself in july happy uh, birthday yeah, idea, yeah. good by, idea uh, by uh, i've um, i'm training for my first full ironman triathlon and, and I can tell you that, that my training today is more intense and my recovery is better than it was when I was running marathons in med school 35 years ago. Wow. And, and it's pretty amazing, really.
0: That jobs with the story that uh, I tell quite frequently on the podcast is last year I got the opportunity to interview a player who uh, was still in Washington at the time uh, by the name of D.J. Swearinger, mm-hmm. plant-based. Um, and he – this was week 16 in the season, only two games left. And you take a look around the, the locker room, and you were just talking about the bodies are sore. I mean, these guys were like zombies. If you've ever seen The Walking Dead, that's kind of what this locker room at the end of the year, it, it reminds you of. And here's DJ Swearinger, I mean, skipping around, fresh as a daisy, and he attributes so much of that to his diet. You know, and and the team went so far as to install a, a smoothie station with everything that he you know wanted there. You know, your kale, your mango, and and things like that. Uh, and also had a, a wonderful chef there that cooked plant based for him. But anyway, Susan, my question to you is this: Is this rapid recovery time? Is it more based off of the fact that? The athlete is not eating meat, or is it that these plant based foods are actually inhibiting that inflammation?
2: I mean, I, I see it as both. Right. I, don't, exactly. I can't imagine that you could do one without the other. Um, you ne- for the reasons we started with, you, you are experiencing all this stress, the oxidation, and you, so you need these antioxidants and, and the inflammation. You need those anti inflammatory foods to support. Um, your routine, and if you don't have, yes, the absence is key, but but, you, but it's, it's, a, it's yin-yang. You've got to have both.
1: So, so the way I think about this, you know, exercise in and of itself is an inflammatory condition, okay? Mm-hmm. So imagine when we eat an inflammatory diet, right? We have this low-grade fire burning in our bodies all the time, and then we go exercise. We're putting gas on the fire, right? Right. right? When we eat an anti-inflammatory diet, a plant-based diet, you, you, you've already got some water there, and so when you try to light the fire, it, it, you can't, right? Because you've already got the water there to put the fire out. And so I, I think that's the, kind of the best way to understand it. So you've got the 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 and the difference between the low grade fire from the inflammatory foods like meat and the water, which is the anti-inflammatory foods from plants. And that's a fairly simplistic way, but I think that's I think that's that's the way I visualize what's happening um, in our bodies. Um, when we think about exercise and the relationship, it has to diet.
0: I wanna ask you another big takeaway from this paper is the increased blood flow, the boosted blood flow, I believe is, is how it's uh, been termed. Uh, just a lay question here for you, Dr. Loomis, that is important to an athlete because why?
1: Well, because our, our muscles burn, we need oxygen to, 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 to burn for the, to make our muscles work that oxygen comes from our blood and from our red blood cells specifically. So the more oxygen, the more blood we can deliver to our working muscles, the more oxygen we can extract and the higher our performance. And, and so a, a couple of things that, that happen when you move toward a plant-based diet. So one, the actual viscosity of the thickness of the blood uh, is less, so the blood flows more easily. And probably just as important is the uh, the the endothelium, which is the lining of the heart and controls the blood vessel dilating and constricting appropriately, uh, becomes much more reactive, especially under under the influence of foods that are high in nitric oxide and foods like beets and kale things like that. And it's been shown, there's clinical studies that have shown that for endurance athletes, if you ingest beets for beet extract, for example, before you exercise, um, you can see up to a 10% improvement in, in endurance performance. And it's probably related to the increased blood flow uh, through an improvement in endothelial function that the beets and the the the, um, the
0: nitric oxide um, um, causes. So, Susan, do you know of any other food that can match? I mean, that ten percent—that's that's a big boost from beets. Well, what other foods would you be recommending?
2: Well, I think anything that has the kind of that dark color, like cherries, um, would have the same kind of effect. And I'm sure they would just need the the other fruit lobbyists to do more tests to see what what they're foods do. But I do think that, that that conversation about viscosity is so relevant to even people who don't exercise because they've done studies over and over and over again, feeding people things like, here, eat this, drink this milkshake and eat this McMuffin and let's see what happens. And the rea- your body's reaction to that immediately and for hours on um, following eating that kind of food, it just gets thicker and thicker and thicker and all your lab values start to go horribly wrong. And that's one meal. And you're talking about an American diet where we eat like that constantly, at least three meals a day plus snacks. Our blood viscosity just constantly being um, thickened. And and I just kind of picture that as manifesting in these very lethargic people. And of course you are. Like your blood can't even move because of your diet. And it's not that study with that one high-fat meal. Look what it does. And people are like, oh, no. It's like – we have one high fat life here that's right. how we're, we're operating all the time
1: yeah there's a great scene in the game changers where they take so griff whalen who's a nfl wide receiver is plant-based and yeah. so they take him and two of his teammates and they feed him um burritos and griff has a plant-based burrito and his teammates have you know beef or chicken burritos and they draw their blood and then they feed them all plant-based burritos and when they show the players the blood the, the two that ate the the the, the meat-based burritos their blood was literally milky, cloudy, from the fat. Wow! And so imagine, you know, that sludgy blood trying to get through your blood vessels. Griff's blood was clear. Wow! On the repeat blood work after they all three had a plant-based burrito, all three of their blood was clear. Right. So there was. I mean, the, the the visual representation to actually see that fat s- cell suspended in the blood was pretty eye-opening to those players. Um, um, so yeah, it, it is important. As Susan said, we live in this, I mean, we, we bathe ourselves in this unhealthy food, which which not only creates inflammation, but, but uh, uh, you know, increases the viscosity of our blood and raises our triglyceride levels, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, let me throw you a, a bit of a curveball, you know, let's, would that blood appear similar, that, that dark and cloudy nature? Would there still be that viscosity, say, if that Uh, that fat was coming from a plant-based source like an avocado, high in fat. Is there any parallel there between fat from a meat or dairy source versus one that's plant-based?
1: I I would imagine if you ate enough avocados but if I recall from the scene there was avocados on the plant-based on the plant-based uh, burritos. So, uh, now, you know, obviously you do have to be careful with the overconsumption of oils. There has been some evidence that even olive oil in small doses will transiently cause endothelial dysfunction. Um, so, so there are, you know, being vegan or, or plant-based, still trying to focus primarily on unprocessed foods, mm-hmm. so in trying to avoid the edible, highly processed edible oils, highly processed sugars, highly processed grains, which are all plant-based but but also can play a role, you know, have to have an adverse effect on, you know, not only uh, viscosity but also inflammation, especially with sugar.
0: Susan, we've talked about a lot about football here with Derek Morgan and the Tennessee Titans. That, that's just an incredible story. By the way, off topic, his wife kind of parlayed that. She's a yeah. phenomenal chef, yeah. and now she's doing you know plant based cooking for I think a dozen or so of his teammates. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's such she's, an incredible. She's story. the real hero, right? Yeah, Chef Charity Morgan. Look yeah. her up. I mean, just just a, a wonderful uh, woman. But um, I wanted to ask you this, Susan, before we wrap up. So we've talked a, a lot about ultra endurance. We've talked about football. You've really had a chance to look at athletes from all sports, and I'm wondering, like, is there one sport in particular where an athlete would really see a benefit, or is this, like, really across the board? You know, plant-based diet is, is really going to be in their best interest.
2: Considering it's in the best interest of someone who doesn't do anything and just sits on the couch, uh, yeah, across the board it, it, it is beneficial. But I think, t- to Dr. Loomis's point of the – the pro-inflammatory nature of really ultra endurance exercise; those people who are um, doing something that feels really great and and seems like oh this should this should combat perhaps even a bad diet or it doesn't, um, but it actually could be dangerous if you're not eating well. I think they probably would see the most benefit or, or hopefully not see the adverse effects of of not eating well and of doing uh, ultra sports. But um, but again, I, I always, you know, most Americans don't do this stuff. Uh, they go to the gym three days a week and they, you know, they, they too need to eat well. So I just try to underscore that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. And in fact, I think the ultra endurance community is the one that's most been has embraced plant-based nutrition most uh, it's it's a very easy sell and and you know when you got guys like Scott Jurek, or I, I had the pleasure of meeting Abby Mitchell, who's an up-and-coming ultra endurance athlete in Boulder. And I mean, on uh, the list was Brendan Brazier. I mean, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on. Rich Roll. I mean, these guys that have uh, the, the, the it, because it does lend itself not only performance because you know in in those long races we use carbohydrates for example for for fuel primarily glycogen and the. the the, the nature of a plant-based diet is about 75 to 80% unprocessed carbohydrates. So you, you know, your ga- you, it ensures that your gas tank is full all the time. Right. Um, and then the recovery piece. So I, I think I would agree the ultra-endurance folks um, probably benefit not only from a performance uh, aspect, but also uh, the, the risk aversion, if you will, uh, because of the, oxida- the oxidative stress they create with these very long bouts of physical activity.
0: Final question for you both, um, as Susan, we will start with you, is with this paper, with this study, what is your big takeaway? We've talked a lot about inflammation today, but if there's one key piece that you want people to take away from this, what would it be?
2: Gosh, I guess because, um, you know, I, I see patients in the clinic and talk about diet all the time, and I know that half of us, half of all adults, are going to succumb to heart disease. Um, I'm, I'm always struck by the benefit of eating a plant-based diet for heart health. And there were so many components of this that led to that, whether it was, um, you know, the arterial integrity or if it was blood flow um, or just getting the plaques out of your arteries, all those benefits for your heart. They're so important to, to the non-athlete as well. To me, that's the takeaway is how important it is for your heart.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. I, I think what's interesting is if you if you think about the reasons that people come to plant-based nutrition or vegan diets, you know, historically, it initially, was a lot of for a lot of ethical reasons, and as the body of research built, uh, now more and more people come through it for health reasons, and then for the environment. But but raising awareness that there's a fourth way into plant-based nutrition through performance um, is real. And and I think especially for younger you know athletes who may be put you know may still be bathed in this bro science around mm-hmm. protein and meat, uh, I think sh- showing you know giving them the, the scientific kind of backing or permission to an understanding of of, of how uh, a, a plant based diet can improve their performance over the long run. You know what else does it do well? It's it's ethical for the animals. It keeps them from getting heart disease. And it's good for the environment. So, so I, I think my takeaway is it's really about about opening up another door avenue for people to come to plant based nutrition um, that, that that transcends the traditional ways that we think about it. Again, you know, climate, their environment, and ethics and, and health. That that performance is another pillar um, um, and, and again, the ankle bones connected to the knee bone, right? So the, the, the great beautiful thing about it is not only do you perform better, but you're healthier and you make the world a better place to live it.
2: That's such a great point. I hadn't thought of that. That's
0: I can't think of a better way to really end this interview. I, I That's fantastic. So I, I know, right? Like, I'm ready to go change the world. Thank you. <laughs> uh, d- d- Dr. James Loomis and Susan Levin, both from the Barnard Medical Center, congratulations on this paper, and I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Interesting stuff there. You know, one of the things that I found really fascinating about that conversation I had with Dr. Loomis and Susan was that, When we compared the fat from plant-based foods to the fat in animal and dairy products, it's not exactly comparing apples and apples. It's more apples and oranges, you know? The body just reacts to things differently. That said, don't go out, as Dr. Luma said, and eat a ton of guacamole or a ton of avocados. A lot of fat, a lot of calories in there. But your body, it just... It reacts a little bit differently when it's plant-based, and by a little bit, I mean quite a bit. On pcrm.org, Dr. Barnard has written a blog about this review that we were discussing, and the title of the blog is Six Reasons Athletes Are Running Toward a Vegan Diet. No surprise there. Um, A lot of this we covered in that conversation just now, but I, I wanted to go over a couple of the reasons here with you as well. The full blog, pcrm.org, is where you can find it. I wanted to key in, as we discussed in that interview, about heart disease. You know, I'm going to read this verbatim from Dr. Barnard's blog because it it just blows me away. It says, in one study, 44% of endurance cyclists and runners had coronary plaques. Coronary plaques, that's blockages. In the arteries, it continues, a plant-based diet keeps athletes' hearts strong by reversing the plaque, thus bringing down blood pressure and cholesterol and, we all love this, reducing weight. Just phenomenal stuff, really. And also, compared with meat eaters, people eating a plant-based diet get more antioxidants, which help neutralize free radicals. Why is that important? Well, Dr. Barnard explains. He says, free radicals lead to muscle fatigue, reduced athletic performance, and impaired recovery. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about increased recovery time or shortened recovery time, depending on how you want to look at it, however you want to phrase it. Bottom line is you're going to be feeling better faster. And you'll hear about that firsthand from my next guest, Eric O'Gray, gentleman who As I said at the top of the show, went from being on scores of medications, and medications for medications, to now being this elite marathon runner. He just qualified for the Boston Marathon. That's huge. That's huge. And as far as the recovery time, I'm telling you, what he says about how he feels the day after running a marathon That's 26 miles. How he feels the next day? A lot of times he doesn't even think that he ran. Doesn't feel it. The guy ran a marathon two days before we taped the interview. And then gets on a plane, comes home, runs eight miles to work today. How about them apples? Eric O'Gray, you are my hero, sir. My next guest here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee, is actually my very first guest on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. When I first pitched the idea of doing this show, they said, It's a great concept. Here's who you need to talk to. They said, This guy is just incredible. He has a phenomenal weight loss story, and he's a heck of a human being, and you got to read his book. I was like, Okay, I can read his book. He's a great guy. I want to talk to him. Let's have him on. And so since that day, Eric O'Gray has been uh, holding a place near and dear to my heart. I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show, my friend. Well, Chuck, you're too kind. Uh, No, I'm not really. (laughs) No, you're you're the only person in the world that would ever, ever, ever possibly say that. Uh, You, sir, for those who aren't familiar, uh, have perhaps the most remarkable weight loss story that I've ever heard. Uh, in my life because it is truly all-encompassing, not just the physical but the emotional attribute that comes with it as well and you wrote that book, Eric and Petey documenting it. For those who didn't hear the first podcast and have not yet read your book tell us a little bit about your story. Absolutely and thank
3: you for having me on Chuck. So the, the name of the book is Walking with Petey the dog who saved my life and I'm absolutely thrilled. I got a cover uh of the Korean edition last night. So the book is now available in Polish, in Czechoslovakian, in Hungarian, in Russian, in uh, Italian, in French, and in Spanish, and now Korean. So it's all over the world, and you're going to ju- run
0: out of fingers there, man. You're you're counting off the languages, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to do my part for
3: the uh, the vegan recruiting team for sure. Yeah. And so my story is uh, is pretty simple. I was in, in 2010. I was 340 pounds on 15 different medications, including. 200 units of insulin a day for type 2 diabetes and metformin and uh, over a a period of years I'd gone through just a succession of doctors and I called it the quest for a cure. I went from doctor to doctor to doctor asking for somebody to cure me and at each doctor that I went to I noticed something in common and that was I spent they spent about five to ten minutes with me at most and they were holding a prescription pad in their hand while they were talking to me with a pen. <clears throat> and as part of doing that, they were listening for my major complaint. What's the thing that I'm complaining most about per day? Because based upon the economics of the modern medical profession, their goal was to write me a prescription as quickly as possible, I thought, and then get on to the next patient, which is usually what happened. So sure. eventually, with that uh, strategy, I ended up with 15 different pill bottles approximately across my um, – my kitchen counter, not my kitchen counter, my bathroom uh, counter at home, and I had three different antidepressants. I had uh, weight lo- weight loss medications. I had high blood pressure medications. I had cholesterol uh, medications, and then I had medications designed to alleviate the side effects of other medications. So it was it was
0: just a mess. Medications for medications. Yes. Wow. And they
3: make them too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this isn't working, so we're going to fine tune it with this, and suddenly you're a chemical cocktail. And yeah, I was really, walking, man. and just the 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 side effects of all this. You know, uh, uh, statins um, have been shown to perhaps promote type two diabetes or lead to type two diabetes, and then obesity and metabolic syndrome and everything else. So. Really, my goal was to try to find a way to get off all those medications, and I just could never quite do it until um, I just kept getting bigger and bigger. By the time that I was uh, 51 in 2010, I was 340 pounds, as I said, with a 52-inch waist, and I had a life cha- a couple of life-changing experiences that were for me anyway. The first one was I had a doctor, and I went in, and I, I did my typical thing, and you know, what can we do to get me off all these medications? And he said, well, he looked over all my records, and my, my file was pretty thick, and he said, you know, you he didn't really have a solution. The best thing that he could suggest was if, if I purchase a cemetery plot because I'd likely need one within wow. the next five years. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, come on, man, you're not even trying. So I then, you know, of course, was going to get a second opinion on that rather than just go down to my local cemetery and say, hey, you got a plot because my doctor says that that's the best he can do. Mm. And then shortly after that, <clears throat> I was on an airplane for a work event, and just the misery of travel uh, as a large obese person. Yes. And Chuck, you've experienced this also. The walk of shame. It is. The walk of shame going down, being especially boarding last or near last on an airline, and walking down the aisle of that plane, seeing every single person on that plane look at you with the most horrified frightened look in their eye and it's that look is it's immediately recognizable it's please god don't let that fat guy sit next to me yeah and you know suddenly you get to your assigned row and today's winners are (laughs) (laughs) and i had a middle seat that day and i sat down in that middle seat and the seat belt would not stretch around my carcass Mm. so uh, under faa rules they can't launch the plane until everybody's buckled in. So of course I rang for my flight attendant and they'd run out of seatbelt extensions. And so uh, they didn't have any more in the plane. They didn't have any at the gate. They had to go get some off another plane. So I delayed my flight by 45 minutes as uh, the passengers around me were beginning to complain and recognize that I was the cause of the problem saying things like, you know, I'm going to miss my flight because this guy can't control himself and he's too fat. Hmm. And that really affected me in a very profound way because I'd always been a proud person. I'd been in the military. I'd been just somebody who'd never, I'd never applied for government assistance. I'd always taken care of my own things. Sure. And suddenly I was a burden on other people. And I'm thinking, you know, what's next? Um, Having a stroke and being in an assisted care facility where it takes six orderlies to turn me over to use the bathroom. I mean, where is this headed? Right. So I, I really became recommitted at that point to try to find a solution. And fortuitously, the very next day after that airplane flight, I was watching on TV – I just had CNN on for some reason. Bill Clinton came on being interviewed by Wolf Blitzer, and it was some sort of political interview. And Wolf eventually stopped the interview because Bill Clinton at that point looked better than I'd ever seen him on TV in my entire life. His face was oval instead of round. His eyes no longer had bags under them. He'd lost uh, a bunch of weight. He really looked presidential. He really looked good, better than I'd ever seen him before. So Wolf eventually stopped the interview and said, you know, I've got to ask this question because I'm sure all of America is asking, what have you done? You look great. What would you do to lose weight? Right. And he said that he had... um, consulted with and was being treated by doctors that were involved in, in some sort of recent study called the China study, and he was following a whole food plant-based diet to reverse his heart disease and also to help him lose weight and achieve some other health benefits because it was right before his daughter's wedding, and he wanted to look good for his daughter's wedding and additionally, in addition to, you know, last long enough so that he saw his grandchildren. Yeah. So that was an, it for me. At that point, I had tried... About three dozen different diets, everything ever commercially marketed in the United States for weight loss: South Beach, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, Atkins. Amen. You go, name go it. Go down like, the list,
0: man. Run out <laughs> of fingers again, man.
3: Every one of them, man. And you know, yeah. I don't want to give these guys any anything, but all these people trying to make money on the back of illness and obesity that are promoting these temporary weight loss systems that don't work and can't work because they're not sustainable. And on every one of these weight loss programs, let me give you an idea: on Nutrisystem, I signed up. I got the big box in the mail. So I opened the box and there's all this food in there. And most of it is like you got to mix water with it. Mm. It reminded me of army rations. Right. But so I opened the box and you're supposed to eat like this one little meal and then wait until dinner. Man, I ate that box in three and a half days, (laughs) a 30 day supply.
0: (laughs) It's not a lot, man. Look, you you joke, but I will tell you any diet that you go on where you're hungry, it's a diet. We're going to put that in quotations. That diet's going to fail. It's just not going to work. You are setting yourself up for failure from the beginning. But you know what? That's exactly what they want because you keep coming back. You go through that box. It's supposed to last 30 days. You go through it in three and a half. Did you get another box?
3: Well, uh, 30 days later, but then at that point, I had to argue with them that this isn't going to work for me, Uh, cancel this subscription, and then they continue to transfer you to their different departments trying to talk you out of it. I think somebody makes a spiff like some sort of sales commission if they get you to change your mind. So, so anyway, I, I went through all these and on every one of those diets, I was able to lose 30 to 40 pounds and for a 340 pound person, that's not like a lot of weight. Right. So I was able to put a dent in it, but then you backslide and when you backslide, every time you fail on that particular diet plan, you not only regain the weight back that you lost very quickly, but an additional penalty, I think this is the universe's way to say this isn't going to work and you know I'm going I'm to punish you for doing this. So that was my almost 25-year history of dieting. Mm-hmm. And so I then became committed. He said something I'd never heard before, which was a plant-based diet. So immediately then on the spot, I Googled Clinton plant-based diet. This was in my apartment at the time. This was in August 2010 and it came up with zero search results found. Hmm. Now, if you do Clinton plant-based diet on your uh, on Google right now, you'll get approximately 30 million hits. That's how far we've come in the last 8 years. It's extraordinary. Right. Right. right, right. So I did. I, I called, and I called, and I called, and I called, and unfortunately, this is, unfortunately, it's before plantbaseddoctors.org, which is an excellent resource for anybody looking to find a vegan-friendly doctor that knows what they're talking about and is up on Current Nutritional Science, and and can you just enter in your zip code, and it'll find a doctor near you that you don't have to argue with and is not going to tell you to eat meat or, you know, drink milk or something like that, somebody that'll help you get healthy. So I recommend that. So, I did find – this is before that, though, and I found a doctor in Cupertino, California, and her name was Dr. Preeti Kolkarni in Cupertino, California, and she still works at Core Integrative Medicine. And so I talked to her, and she said not only did she know what a plant-based diet was, but that's what she followed herself. And I said, sign me up. There you go. So I went in, and I talked to her. And as part of talking to her, something very odd happened. It was the first time. She didn't just talk to me for five or 10 minutes. She spent over an hour with me. And in my mind, because I'm fascinated with how systems work and how people are motivated and how people make a living and things, I finally had to ask her. I said, how can you afford to do this? And she said, I'm not trying to you know, help you in one visit. What I want to do is I want to find your complete history and then recommend a course of care Because what I want to do is I want to get you off all meds and have you at your ideal weight in under a year. Now, this is when California, like all of the uh, medical marijuana initiatives were coming out. And I'm thinking, you know, what is this lady smoking? Here we
0: go. Here we
3: go. But it it turned out nothing. It turns out that she was legit. And I could tell from talking to her that she personally cared about me. And I feel that she really invested in me personally and wanted it wasn't just like she was going through the motion and trying to do a job she wanted to help me get healthy and I could sense that and I really appreciated it so over that hour that we talked she got me to admit to everything that was wrong with my life I had had lost all my friends because I'd stopped going outside I I really only went outside on emergencies and when it was required because otherwise I'd lose my job if I didn't I hadn't been on a date in 15 years, and my life was just a wreck. I mean, she got me to admit stuff like I wouldn't even go out to use the laundromat in my apartment complex. I was buying all my socks and underwear on Amazon, and so I'd wear them once, and then I'd throw them in the corner, and it had almost a 1,000-pair of underwear in the corner of my Lord, second Eric?
0: bedroom. Yeah. Uh, now that I did not know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow.
3: Yeah, so that, that's how reclusive I was at the time and how far gone that I was at the time. So... She told me that all I needed to do, because she worked it out like she had with my insurance, and all I needed to do was pay a $25 a week, weekly copay for six months. And I said, okay, because she, she talked to me and she said, you know, if you prepay for the services, I know you, you're going to come in and you're going you're to meet me here every week. And every week for six months, we're going to go through this. We're going to weigh you. We're going to talk about what worked and what didn't. We're going to come up with new recipes and and shopping lists, and I'm going to answer your questions. We're going to keep you on track. We're going to have these weekly visits for six months. So I said, okay. So at the end of that meeting, she did some things that totally surprised me, and I'd never heard of a doctor before. First, rather than prescribe me with medications, she prescribed a whole food plant-based diet and also a dog from my local shelter and I'd never had a pet before so the first thing that I asked her was you know I'm kind of nervous about this first of all why is a dog why is a doctor prescribing a dog for me and she said because you need to get outside the dog is going to force you to go outside have sunlight on your skin start producing vitamin C walk you know, meet people that you otherwise would not meet and really kind of like get you back into society as well as get you some basic exercise, which is absolutely critical for your situation. And the second thing is, is that... um the, uh, the, the the dog is, is really you need a relationship in your life because you have no relationship right now. You don't have and this is a very unhealthy way to live. And it's it's exacerbating your obesity and causing all these medical problems and shortening your life as well. So the dog is going to be your accountability partner and your relationship. And she said, I want you to get it from a shelter because I want you to go get a dog that is like you and has similar needs to what you have, and you can work on this together. And I said, okay. So I go home with a shopping list, and after going through a a grocery store and going through a fairly arduous experience, the first time that I cooked, because I'd never done anything before that was more complicated than boiling water or using a microwave, <laughs> so the first thing I did was, I set the fire alarm off in my apartment building and everybody had to evacuate. Well done, the, sir. The fat well, guy uh, set off the, yeah. Because <laughs> I burned whatever it was that I was cooking because I, I wasn't paying attention. But then the next day I did call uh, the shelter and this was Humane Society, Silicon Valley in, San, in Milpitas, California. <clears throat> And I asked, I said, well, my doctor told me to get a dog like me, so I need an obese, middle-aged dog, so we'll have something in common, and we can work on this together. <laughs> and they said, come on down, we have the perfect dog for you. And so through my mind, the perfect dog, in my mind, was this beautiful little eight-pound dog that was smiling and happy, and would never bark or annoy me, and would always just do anything that I said, and was perfectly trained, and would never have any sort of allergy qualities to it. It would never in the history of the dog ever pee or poop in my apartment, right? That is the ideal dog. So that in my mind, visually, that was like an eight-pound golden retriever.
0: Aha, uh-huh. eight-pound golden retriever. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're laughing.
3: Okay, okay then. Yeah. So I'm going down there with this vision of this perfect dog in my mind, and I, I meet with the adoption lady, and the first thing that she did – Well, she made me commit. She talked to me for half an hour before she'd even let me see the dog. She said, this dog is a commitment. This dog is a family member. You can't just change your mind and give up on this dog because this dog's been through two shelters already. And this dog needs you as much as you need him. And this dog is is a person. This dog is a, uh, you know, you're going to have a relationship with this dog. So I'll show you this dog if you are committing to this dog. And I said, I commit to this dog. So I'm sitting in this waiting room, uh, this adoption room, waiting for this dog to show up, and I hear this really loud, it sounds like Godzilla walking down the hallway, like this clunk, 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 nails on concrete. And so in walks this dog that is a very obese dog, and his head is hung low, and his shoulders are slumped. And he's looking at the ground. He's not even looking up at me. And he's got skin problems. He's missing patches of fur. He's in bad shape. (laughs) And I look at this lady, and I said, "Well, where's my dog?" (laughs) (laughs) And as I said, "Where's my dog?" This dog looks up at me, and I could tell he was way more disappointed in me than I was in him. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, right there. And so she then squared everything, and she said, "Look, I I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, but..." You told me that you wanted a dog with the same situation that you're in, and obviously, you guys can both work on this together. I said, you know something? I think you're right. And so I took that dog home, and that dog, I don't think the dog had ever been in a car because he didn't know how to get into a car. Hmm. and It was very difficult. He was maybe 75, 80 pounds. He should have been around 50 is really difficult for me to lift him into my car, and I got him home. The dog didn't know how to get into an elevator. He thought that I was putting him into a kennel or something. Oh wow! Yeah, because you think Close about walls. from the dog's sure. perspective, a small room. And so, I got around to the front of him, and I pulled him into the elevator. And when I did it, he pancaked, <laughs> all spread out. And I just pulled him in, and the look on that dog's face when we that 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 magic room stopped in a different place than when he got on. It it was the most surprised look that I'd ever seen on a creature. (laughs) I mean, he was just freaked out by that. He goes, how did that happen? Wow, it's like a magic trick. (laughs) So we went into my apartment, and over a period of, first, I sat on the couch, and he sat on the opposite side of the room, and we looked at each other skeptically. And we did that for about three days. But in the meantime, because I didn't know what to expect from him, he didn't know what to expect from me, because we'd never, you know, he he didn't really have anybody to spend time with him, and I'd never had a, a pet before. And so I walked him, and the first day that we walked, we made it about 100 yards down the street, and I was just, like, exhausted. My legs hurt, my knees hurt, my back hurt, you know, and I had to lay down on the couch, and he laid down, and, you know, we started eating, and, you know, basically, so we went through that for about three days, and on the third night, he jumped up on my bed with me, and he put his his head on my chest, and after that, we became, like, bonded, like the bond of brothers. That was it, man. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it was like, he cared more about me than himself his total job in life was to protect me and from evildoers (laughs) and to really he wanted to screen everything he wanted to you know when we went into a room he would lay down in the doorway to protect the cave so that nobody could get in without his without his permission Mm. but he was in such bad shape that I stopped feeling sorry for myself and I started feeling sorry for him (laughs) and so we kind of we did it and I realized that the the food that I was on from my, uh, uh, my doctor, the whole regimen that she put me on, made me feel so much better and so amazing and so alive. I mean, just within a week, I was feeling better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. I felt more energy, more mental clarity, better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I I asked her at my next meeting, why do I feel this good? I mean, what's wrong? Because I felt like I was high or something. I felt that good. (laughs) And she said, you're feeling normal. And I'd never felt normal before. Wow. And that was like a profound thing to me. So I said, well, if this is working for me like this, maybe it'll work for the dog, too and rather than feed them all this, you know, this canned meat crap, maybe I should go and figure out and I did. So I talked to a veterinarian who instruct who informed me that dogs, like pigs, bears, and people are omnivores and they can exist very healthily on a balanced vegan diet. So I said, "Wow, maybe I should figure out how to do this." So the veterinarian helped to design uh, uh, some recipes, and I can send those to you if you'd like, but sure. I, I wrote them up for. I, I've got like a, a recipe list that was published on a PETA site. So the uh, the dog, uh, his name is Petey, his name was Petey, <clears throat> he started losing weight also, and his skin started clearing up, and you could see like life in his eyes again, and like not haze, his eyes became clear. And he didn't have these big goobers under his tear ducts all the time and just all these like things. He really livened up and became, you know, happy. And I could tell that he was feeling good too. So we were doing this together and I started losing five pounds a week consistently. I mean, just like an inverted bell curve. It was just like, like down to that to the point that, so like five. And then once I lost, once I lost about 80 pounds, It started going down to about a four-pound and then a three-pound, then a two-pound and then one-pound. But the bottom line is I lost 140 or more pounds in 10 months. I reversed my type 2 diabetes, completely got off all insulin and all medications within about three months. My A1C went from 13 to about 4.9. My cholesterol was at the how-are-you-still-walking 400 level, went down to about 120 on mad. Yeah, and uh, my blood pressure from 160 over 100 down to 96 over 60.
0: My man. It was a miracle. Look at you. Yeah.
3: And so I got to the end of this process and the dog and I, you know, I I decided that, you know, this dog, um, he he loved me so much. And he thought that I was literally the greatest person who ever walked the planet. And I just decided that I'm going to be the person who this dog thinks that I am. And so – that's what i resolved to do plus give this dog the best time that he would ever had for the rest of his life i mean we went everywhere we went i took i got him on the boat to alcatraz you know we just i i did all this stuff with him and i just you know treated him like he was he was like my guest and we went to some really high-end experiences and had you know i took him on trains and all kinds of things I,
0: i i need to ask you about that hold on slide for me about three yeah there we go um my wife is a dog person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you and she are probably the people in this world who I know that love dogs the most. And she will take our beagle anywhere. And I mean, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. She will. Uh, and if I'm lying, I'm dying, Eric. She will take she will take little Rudy, put him in a shopping cart and go through the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care. Doesn't think twice about it. Doesn't, you know, think anything other than, well, this is this is my child right we, we don't have children of our own except for rudy and so that's how she treats them you know and it's so funny to me like honestly sometimes i'll still get a little bit uncomfortable with it because it's it's like just it's not the norm but for her it clearly is i mean it sounds like you were you kind of on that same path there yeah and so i did a lot of research
3: and i actually uh had him go through quite a bit of training and i got him um uh, trained as a service dog. Ah. And if anybody's interested, there's an article on my website, e r i c a n d p e e t y E-R-I-C-A-N-D-P-E-E-T-Y.com, called Jake's on a Plane, <laughs> 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 Traveling with Your Dog. Okay. So yeah, it kind of okay. walks you through like all the details you need to know about uh, about that if you're interested. I
0: assume for you, it was uh, emotional support, uh, that kind of a No, it was a service dog. dog I oh. had
3: a uh, 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 traumatic brain injury. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, so okay. yeah, it's legit. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, let's – we only have a – I mean, gosh, we only have like 15 minutes, and we still have so much more to talk about. Sure. Eventually, you get to running. And so, like – I mean, get,
3: get so, us so, there quickly. Yeah, so absolutely. So I went back to the doctor, Dr. Preeti, and I said, well, I've got so much energy. I mean, what do I do now, this walking for half an hour twice a day? I've lost the weight, and here I am you you got any suggestions? And she said, what you need to do is find a form of exercise that you don't hate. (laughs) And it needs to include a social component so that basically you can do this and then you can have built in friends and, and, and all this. So I talked to a bunch of people and I thought about it and somebody recommended long distance running. And because um, they said, you know, you're going to hate it for the first couple of weeks. But after a couple of weeks, if you just keep at it and you force yourself, a light switch is going to go off and you're going to be running along And you're going to say, hey, I not only don't mind this, I like it, and I want to go further. And that's exactly what happened. So I I went on Meetup and a couple other uh, sources, internet sources, and I found some local running clubs in my area. And they're in every area, and anybody can find them like this. And I joined a couple, and I just started going on their scheduled runs, and I was introduced to the glorious trails of Northern California, and I just saw things that I'd never seen before, and I ran along lakes and oceans and mountains and just amazing things, and I had the time of my life. And so I just became a a long-distance runner doing that, and I'm I'm currently I've run about 25 full marathons since then, Mm -hmm. about 100 half marathons. And so I, I, right now I'm running four or five folds a year in about 15 halves a year. Uh, but right now in the last three months, I've run six fulls. And um, I really, earlier this year, wanted to achieve a lifetime goal. I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So I figured, how am I going to do that? This is what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, because I know that uh, PCRM recently has published a paper that talks about the benefits to vegan athletes of increased endurance and uh, reduced recovery times. And I was very inspired by that, and I wanted to prove it. And so I'm 60 years old, and over the last two weeks, I've qualified for the Boston Marathon twice. Yeah. And so it, it was uh, a –
0: What are you going to, like, run <laughs> it and then, ah, oh, that was fun. Let me go back and, you know, start again.
3: I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that I did it two weeks in a row to let other people know that it's not only possible – But it's – because your typical thing – I'm also a running coach. I'm a long-distance – I'm an adult-distance running coach through Roadrunners Club of America. Okay. And nobody in their right mind or most people would not ever attempt to run races, two full marathons, back-to-back, two weeks in a row. There's a number of people that will uh, do marathons back-to-back. I'm also a member of a club called Marathon Maniacs, where that's a requirement that you do it. But – Most people that do it don't race the races. They actually are going to try to do it in five to six hours and, you know, run, walk it or walk it or, you know, just to cover the distance within the cutoff time of the race. My goal was to physically race the races so that I would achieve a Boston qualifying time for my age group, which is 60 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I set about to train on that. And I, I did like a lot of training. And to me, the best training, because I'm a vegan athlete. I am not impacted by the same things that an omnivore athlete is impacted by. And I'm convinced about this. I can run a full marathon this week and run another one next week and try to achieve the same speeds. Recovery time. And I can do that because I have a reduced recovery time that's reduced inflammation and I'm able to uh, bust it out. It's just like after I run a full marathon – I'm not really even sore the next day. Mm -hmm. And how many people can say that if they're being honest as an omnivore omnivore athlete? I maybe have a little bit of soreness the next day, but it's gone by the day after. As an example, I ran the Louisiana Marathon uh, on Sunday, and today is Wednesday, and I ran eight miles to work this morning. Look and so you. most people would never consider doing that. They'd still be in a recovery mode. I felt fine and actually turned on the gas a little bit and just kind of, like, lit it up and nice. you know, cruised to work this morning. Nice. Yeah. So uh, what, what is the qualifying time uh, for Boston? The qualifying time for a 60-year-old is three hours and 50 minutes. Okay. So I ran uh, the Charleston Marathon uh, Last Saturday, not this most recent one, but the one before that, the Charleston Marathon, I got a three thirty six nice. instead of a three fifty, which I was very pleased with. I slowed down a little bit over this at the Louisiana Marathon because I deviated from my plan a little bit. I tried something different that was probably ill advised. I underhydrated and I got uh, pretty severe leg cramps, so I did a three forty five. This, on Sunday, but that still, still beat under. my Boston qualifying sure. time by five minutes. Sure. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, was I have, st- I have
3: a, a few more races coming up that I'm going to try to um, achieve the time that I need to qual- time qualify for the New York Marathon, which would be a 334.
0: Is 336 a personal best for you? Yes. Okay. So, But you're not far off. I mean, 334 seems... I mean that's that's attainable. Yeah, it is, especially because in
3: Charleston, when I got the three thirty six, the reason I didn't get a three thirty four is because they had a freight train cut the course off, and no. I had I had to wait about uh, three four minutes for the freight train to go by. It was it was I'd never seen anything like it oh, before, in and my that life. counted against your time. It did because no. yeah, come on. no, I'm telling really? yeah they don't they don't have a way to no like to way. deduct that from the time. So oh. I mean, I'm standing there, really. Let me tell you about this story. I see this freight train coming up on my right. And the last time that I heard about something like this happening once at a marathon in in Oregon, and when it happened in Oregon, it was one of these like one mile long freight trains like they have in Texas or the Midwest or something that, you know, take 15, 20 minutes to go by. And I thought, all of the preparation, the blood, sweat, and tears, the expense, everything I put into this, I am not going to let that train steal my Boston time today. And so I started sprinting and my what I was planning to do literally was dive across the tracks right before the train hit the road Ooh. just to get on the other side of it. Now, fortunately, thankfully to the Charleston Police Department, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> when the when the arm went down and right as I sprint up, because I sprinted about a hundred yards to actually beat the train, I was literally going to dive across the tracks The policeman, the kind policeman, stepped in front of the gate and looked at me and, like, with a don't-even-try-it look on his face. And, you know, so I respected that, and I stopped, and I just, you know, was dejected. Fortunately, then I looked back at the train, and it wasn't as long as I thought, and it only took about three or four minutes to pass.
0: Still, though.
3: I mean— I got robbed. Well, uh, I don't want to complain. I mean, no, I don't want no, to be I understand. a whiner. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a heck it of is a what time. I've just yeah. never
0: heard of that before. Yeah. I, I mean, it just seems as unfair as that non-call in the NFC Championship game. I mean, like, you were just talking <clears throat> about the blood, the sweat and the tears think about somebody i i I mean really that would have put you in new york i know your goal that day was to qualify for boston which you did but that would have also put you
3: in new york i've been trying to get in new york for seven years now here's how new york works it's a wonderful race it's a race that everybody wants to do and it's really hard to get in and the problem with the new york race is um from the amount of they have several different ways to get in you can either donate five thousand dollars or or you can uh, time qualify, which is very difficult because it, it substantially exceeds the Boston Marathon standards to time qualify in. <clears throat> or you could lottery in. So by lotterying into the New York Marathon, you've got about a 15% chance of having your number picked. And I've been trying for six or seven years now, and I've never been picked. Hmm. So, you know, I'm still, I've am still i still got like a couple of more chances. Um, right. with I've got some more races coming up. I'm running the Rock and Roll Washington, D.C. Marathon. In March, and then a, a Maryland Marathon in uh, in April.
0: Is that in Annapolis or Baltimore? Yeah, it's yeah. it's
3: in Annapolis, okay. right? I forget the name of it, but it's like the B and A Marathon. I, I, it's near I, annapolis yeah. absolutely
0: uh, that's a beautiful area down there you so like
3: i'll it. continue training and hopefully i'll hit my 330 i'll exceed my 334 time for one of those yeah well
0: that's yeah. certainly hope so man uh, otherwise we'll uh, we'll start a go for you to get together that five grand <laughs> um i mean congratulations that's that's really uh, remarkable um the one thing i also wanted to talk to you about before you left is when you were first on the show after we finished You know, we just got to talking and you at that point, it seemed to me like you were ready to make a change somehow in your life. You know, like you you were ready to switch gears and go all in on something that you you truly believed in career wise. And then I was like, man, I'm all for it. And I tried to give you as much encouragement as I could. And then lo and behold, a month later, I get an email that says, hey, I'm applying for this position. Would you mind speaking to so and so and putting in a good word for Hmm. me? And I was like. He's a man of his word, and I love the fact that he's just going for it, man. And so, like, now I'm just – I'm overjoyed that you got the position and your office is literally – Right behind mine, we can knock on the wall, you know, and say hi to each other. I, yes, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm, li-
3: I'm living a fairy tale. I mean, absolutely. And it's all because of a doctor who listened and believed in me and put me on a plant-based diet and walked me by the hand and told me how to do it and helped me until I could walk by myself. And that's why I'm here today and living and working for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And I'm thrilled to be here. I'm Director of Development for the Southeast, which means that I'm in fundraising. And uh, anybody who's interested in helping out this fine organization, I'd love to talk to you and and help, you know, we can discuss how your philanthropy investment can go a long way towards helping people and animals because that's what we're about
0: absolutely absolutely there's not a more perfect organization for you eric than uh than the physicians committee i will tell you that and i'll agree all right uh real i mean seriously so if somebody's listening how how's the best way to reach out to you well you can
3: go online and hit the donate button or um area code 202-686- 2210. There we go. And uh, just ask the switchboard operator for Eric O'Gray, and I'll be delighted to talk to you. Or you can email me at eogray, and that's E O G R E Y, at PCRM.org. And happy to spend time with you and, and talk to you about how you can make a difference in the world.
0: And I know, yeah. And you already are making a difference in the world. I've seen you at Uh, Operate at these large functions that we Put on and and I know that you're always traveling And meeting with people and it's You're just a remarkable uh, human Being who is truly doing in life what He wants to do and you are to be commended For that and so for sharing your Story and bringing that inspiration To the exam room I am forever In your debt good sir
3: oh thank you so much Sir we appreciate it
0: all right and now I'm going to go download battlefish and Learn Korean so I can read your book in another Language
3: wonderful (laughs) I'll get you a copy
0: about what you just heard. Eric graduated from high school many decades ago. Not meant to insult you, Eric. You know, you're my guy. I'm just stating facts here. You graduate from high school many decades ago. You're told that you're going to die. You stare death in the face. You get off all of your medications. You become a vegan running machine. You just qualify for the Boston Marathon. You're blowing past people who are half your age or younger in these events. And then the next day after running more than 26 miles, 26.2 miles, you wake up and you barely feel any soreness whatsoever. The day after that, it's like you never ran at all. You're feeling great. So what do you do? You get up and you run eight miles to work. Who does that? Eric O'Gray. That's who. And that is a testament to the benefits of a plant-based diet. You heard a lot about how they help vegan athletes on today's show. Inflammation, recovery time, reversing heart disease, checking all of those boxes. Really fascinating. Hey, we published a link to the full study up on pcrm.org slash podcast. If you're interested, you want to read that review. We have made that available for you right there on the Physicians Committee website. Before I go, some quick social media plugs at Chuck Carroll, WLC. That's Carroll with two R's, two L's, and the WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. The Physicians Committee and the show. Here's what you need to know on Twitter at PCRM. On Instagram, where the pretty pictures are and the cool kids reside, at Physicians Committee. A little bit longer, but boy, I'm telling you, the pictures and the information, it's worth it. It's worth it. A couple more punches on your phone, but it's totally worth the follow. Again, heads up for listeners in Australia and New Zealand. Dr. Barnard headed your way February 15th through the 20th, doing a little bit of a tour there. Melbourne, Australia, February 15th and 16th at the Australasian Nutrition and Healthcare Conference. And then February 19th, he's going to be in Wellington, New Zealand at the University of Otago. And then February 20th in Auckland, New Zealand at the University of of Auckland. All of the information for the events and links to purchase tickets are up on pcrm.org. Just click on over to our events page and there you will find what it is that you need to know. And of course, if you have not already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the show whether it's on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, it doesn't really matter where you get it. It's available where Only the finest podcasts are, and that's everywhere. Go ahead and subscribe to the show, new ones, each and every Wednesday. And while you're there, please be kind and leave a five-star rating and a nice review. We would appreciate it. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget, keep it plant-based.